with me standing for the reading of God's Word, we're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. We're going to read verses 22 through 33. This is the, the Word of our Lord. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when the, they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we pray that your spirit will be upon us as we consider this portion of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Steve's going to be uh, preaching this morning to us his uh, uh, farewell sermon. Uh, about four years ago, we welcomed to our church this uh, young, skinny kid who came to the, uh, the U.S. to learn English, but uh, more than that, to find himself. And at that time, he had uh, returned to the faith not too too long ago. He established himself back in in his relationship with his Lord. He was dealing with the recent passing of his mom, and uh, we were able to uh, be part of his life during this time. Now, four years later, he's still young, but not as skinny. That seems to happen to all Brazilians who come up here, and the longer you stay, the less skinny you get. Uh, he finished seminary and is ready to embark in the next adventure of his life. He is not quite sure what that next adventure is. It might take him to exotic places like Zambia or Bonners Ferry, Idaho. Now, we, we are all going to uh, miss Steve because we've grown in love with him. And uh, we, we are sad to see him go, but we are very thankful for the work the Lord has done in him and the work that the Lord is doing through him. And we are confident that the Spirit uses him that uh, we will hear from him, from the Lord, even as he preaches to us this morning. Brother? If you haven't opened your Bible yet to Matthew chapter 14, I would ask you to go there 
even if it's on your phone or if you don't have an app, even just going online and finding the passage. But I really would like you to be able to see uh, each verse and we can walk through it together. So if you haven't done that yet, uh, this would be a good time to do it. Matthew chapter 14. Um, I would like to just express how thankful I am to the church for the opportunity to even to preach my last Sunday here. It's one of those things that I come to the realization of how, like, this is just so hard to say goodbye to people who you care and love so much. Um, I, it's been really hard, and I, I think that there's no better way to do that. You know, I can hug people, I can say bye, but there's nothing better than just be able to share the Word of God and be encouraged together uh, through the promises of God to our lives, knowing that He is all things for good, and that uh, we can go through things in life that sometimes we don't understand and we wouldn't, we wouldn't make those choices but we can trust in Him knowing that it is the best for, for all of us and He works all of that perfectly. So uh, my goal is to look in Matthew chapter, to Matthew chapter 14. It's a very well-known passage of Peter. Jesus walks on water and then Peter's, Peter does the same. And I want us to, to draw some lessons about faith from the way Peter and Jesus interact to each other here in this section. Um, but before I, I we start that, I would like to go through the first verses and just give you a little background for what's going on here. So chapter 14 of Matthew is a parallel to also Mark and Luke, sorry, Mark and John chapter 6. So you have the feeding of the 5,000 and then uh, this passage where Jesus calms the storm. But interestingly enough, uh, only Matthew records that Peter also walked on water. And that's what we see here. And we'll see that there's there's a point to it. There's a reason why uh, Matthew does that. And Jesus has been very active in his ministry. He's been teaching, proclaiming the gospel to the nations. He's been uh, healing and, and has done different miracles. Uh, if you look at the verses before, he feeds 5,000 men besides women and children out of five loaves of bread and two fish and because of all of these wonderful things that Christ has been has doing has been doing a multitudes and crowds and so many people are following him and and we read from John that people are trying to even make him a king so there are three reasons in the very beginning here why Jesus decides to like we read in verse 22 he decides to uh, in 24 he decides to dismiss the multitudes and find a place to pray. So the first reason for that is just to escape their crowns and have some rest. And we see that in Mark, in Mark chapter 6. He also does that, and that's not our point for today, but um, to dismiss this movement, trying to make him king. It says in John 6.15, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Which shows that Jesus had a way, his goal is way bigger than just influence in his in the Roman Empire or in Galilee. He, he was not concerned about political things in the first place, but about a kingdom that went way beyond the Roman Empire. It's a kingdom that is spiritual, is divine, and that will come um, to, to, to the praise of the Son of God. And so as Jesus is doing all of this, it says in verse 22 that he sends the disciples to the other side. And 
this means sending them to the west side. So they are in the west side of Nazareth, of, of the Sea of Galilee, that's Bethsaida. And he's sending the disciples to the west uh, coast of the sea. And I'll show, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to show to you pretty soon why, why this matters. He's sending them the other way, and it says in verse um, 24 that the boat was now in the middle of the sea, uh, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary, so the wind is coming from west to east. And by the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on water. It's interesting to even notice the veracity of the Bible through all the information we have here, that the wind is coming to west, to, to the east side, and if we look at passages in, in Mark where he describes the same time where the grass is green and it seems like it's springtime, and look to, the, to that region, even today we can tell that it's the same time of the year, the rainy season, where the wind actually goes that way. So it's amazing how even through the different Gospels we have this perfection in all the details. And Jesus then is coming. Uh, he starts praying in the evening. That would be 6 or 7 p.m. of that night. And it says that he came to the disciples around the fourth watch of the night. The Romans divided the nighttime in four different times. So you had from 6 p.m., 6 p.m. to 9, that's the first watch. Then you had 9 to 12, 12 to 3. And now we have the fourth watch, which is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And that's the time when Jesus comes to them on the sea. So, and that shows two things, that as Jesus stays behind, He's praying for at least seven hours away from the disciples. And in the same time, we can see how strong this wind was. Because if they're going to the east side and they couldn't cross, it's been seven hours and they're still in the middle of the sea. It shows how strong the storm was. And it's amazing just to think about this because Jesus is praying. And if we think about Jesus' prayer throughout the New Testament, we can, we, we can be pretty sure that he definitely prayed for his disciples. After praying for seven hours, he, he prayed for himself, he prayed for the church. And he would often pray for his disciples. So it's not like the disciples should were not protected or Jesus didn't care for them, but he was praying for them. So, but Jesus doesn't only pray, but he goes to them now to help them in the middle of the sea. So that's the background we have. They're going towards the other side. Jesus comes and verse 26 tells us what happened when the disciples see Jesus. It says, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Then immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Give good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. The first point about faith we see here in the text is that faith comes from uh, Christ's revelation. As they look from far, they can't tell it's Jesus. They only guess it's a ghost. But Jesus himself reveals himself to them, saying, don't be scared, it is I. And it's interesting that this it is I here, when you look at the original language, it's the most common form of the name of God, I am. It's The rendering here is exactly I am. And the disciples in Jesus would usually be speaking in Aramaic. They wouldn't speak Greek most of the time, especially just between them. Uh, they were Jews. And, and it's very probable that he not only said this in Greek, but he said the very words used in the New Testament that the Jews were so familiar, saying, I am the God Almighty. I am the one who was there and appeared to Moses in the burning bush. That's what Jesus is saying to them here. And this is how powerful this information is, this change is, bringing faith to Peter to the point that 
he was scared of the sea and now because of this faith through the revelation of Christ he's not only not scared anymore but he's bold to, to step out of the boat and to go toward Jesus and, and, and as he sees the, the God in, in flesh the one who has control over the sea and over the storm and is walking on water that is exactly what gives him that, 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 that power to, to go and step out of the boat so I want to spend some time here just talking about faith this is the first place we see faith in the text, the, the faith of Peter that leads him to step out of the boat. And I want to look at some elements. What is true faith? What is a faith that pleases God? True faith is more than merely knowing that Jesus is the Son of God and that He can save us from sins. But actually believing in these things and committing ourselves to Him. There are three elements I want to highlight here of faith. The first one is knowing who God is, His character, knowing that He exists and that He is who He claims to be. But there is also something about knowing the implication of that to yourself. We're saved because we believe that Christ is who He claims to be, that He is the Son of God, but also that He has power to forgive us our sins, that through His works we, are, we can find redemption with the Holy God. And as we believe in those things and seek Him that way, that is the whole idea of faith. It's something that pushes us to live and to pursue Christ in the way we live. James says in chapter 2, Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. There is a very clear, clear relationship between faith and works. We judge We judge our faith based on, we judge a tree based on their fruits. If I, let's say I came to church today, and after the service I came to one of you and said, you know what happened to me today? I was coming to church, and I parked the car on the other side of the road, and when I was crossing, this huge truck came and hit me, right? You know, and it went right over me. Would you believe me if I'm just saying, you're saying, no, you, you look just fine. Like, there's, there's no way a truck hit you that way. And I think it's the same idea James is bringing here, that you can only show your faith through your fruits. There's no way a truck would hit me, and I wouldn't be completely hurt from that. And it's the same idea of faith. There's no way you can truly understand who God is and His power and all the implications of that to our life, that He's saved and that He loves you, and you still live a life that seems like there's no God. He continues saying, James, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. How many of us, God even tremble? Uh, how many people out there, they would just sometimes say that they believe in God, they believe in the existence of God, but that seems to have no impact at all in the way they feel and the way they see things in life. And that's something we should be checking our hearts. So before we move on in our main text, I would like you to turn. So keep your Bible open in Matthew 14. And let's go to Hebrews 11. Um, there's a lot about faith there that can help us interpret what's going on here with Peter. So, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, verse 1 starts saying, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, we cannot see faith. That is pretty clear here. But even though we can't see faith, faith itself, we can clearly see 
the fruits of faith and the outcome of faith. Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony for he, uh, that he pleased God. He had a testimony, something that people would look to Enoch's life and they could tell this man pleases God. And then we have this key verse here, verse 6, saying, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And we have the three elements I mentioned before. For he who comes to God must believe that first, that He is. You need to understand who God is. And that He is a rewarder. So it's not only what He is, but all the implications of that Scripture brings about who God is, what He did, who Christ was, what He did in the cross, His ministry, what He's going to do in the last day. All these things are important to understand who we are in the history of redemption. And not only He's a rewarder, but He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. If you truly understand who God is and everything that that brings to your life and that brings to your faith and that brings to your future, that will come with diligent uh, seeking of Him. And He continues, By faith Noah being divinely warned of these things, uh, not yet seen, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark. So his faith was in the word of God that the flood would come. But the way we could see that was not seeing the flood, but you could see his faith even before the flood through his attitude and, and his deeds building the ark. Same thing with Abraham. Uh, verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed. And then in verse 9, he dwelt in the promised land. Um, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up uh, his only begotten son. And he did that, it says, verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up uh, from the dead. So no one could see the faith of Abraham that he believed his son could be raised from the dead, but you could clearly see that because of that faith, he was going to kill his son, and, and he had faith in that. So it is something visible. Verse 27, and, and this is a very amazing part of faith here. Uh, by faith, verse 24, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, considering rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And, and this is amazing. Faith is not only to do something that will be amazing in our own eyes and, and accomplish things, but sometimes even to submit to the will of God and, and suffer it and make decisions that maybe wouldn't make sense to a human mind. We're able to do that. We're able to suffer and, and go through the low and through the high with Christ because of our faith. Uh, it says here that he forsook Egypt. Verse 28, he kept the Passover. Verse 21, 29, he passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. And then just to conclude this section, um, I would like to go to the very end of the chapter, uh, starting at verse 32, where we have a list of all the things that people in the past have done through faith. And he starts saying, uh, verse 32, For the time would fail to me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith did all of this, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, 
out of weakness were made strong. They believed in God. They didn't look to what they could do, but they looked to the power of God. And because of that, they were strong and became violent in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. The women received their dad, raised to life again. All these amazing things. And now, look at the switch he makes in verse 35. Same faith. The same faith that destroyed strongholds and, and did all these things. The same faith that they were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mocking and scourging. Yes, and of chains of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sought into. Were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And why am I talking about this so much? It's to show that faith is active. Faith changed the way we live our lives. It's not something that we just say, but it is impacting the way we deal with everything in our lives. Everything we do, we have to do through faith. When we look to the prayer list and we go to the section where we're praying for the sick, for instance, uh, we have these two sides that we truly believe God has all power to, to heal those people and to bring them back to, to good health. But in the same time, our prayer is that even if God, God doesn't do that, that He would help us to understand that we can still have a strong faith and go through faith and, and go through that disease and through those hardships for the glory of Christ. And, and that's the prayer. That, that's the blessing of, of knowing Christ. Understand that He is with us through the green pastures and also through the valley of shadow that in James chapter 1 James starts saying count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produce patience but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing this is probably one of the the hardest passages in the Bible to, to actually understand and and live this out. What he's saying here is basically, when look at, think of all the hardships of your life, whatever in your life that you, if you could, you'd completely change in the click. You just do it. Just think of that. And what Peter is saying, you should count it joy. You should count it all joy, because this is somehow under God's sovereign will to build your character. And. It's easy to say that, but but I, I feel like even James, as he's writing, he doesn't... Okay, but how can I actually do this? How can I actually be happy for the things that I hate the most in my life right now? And the answer comes in comes following the next paragraph. He continues. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberty, abundantly, all without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's the promise we have. Our faith, the faith of Christ, not only strengthens to go through all things with Christ and trusting Him and, and with joy, but also He supports us giving all the wisdom we need. If we come to Him, and, and I need to understand that you would never ask for wisdom sincerely if you don't understand you don't have it. You need to understand that if there is something in your life that you're that is sin, you have to come to God and ask Him for wisdom, and He will give the wisdom to understand and to be able to go through that. Uh, in faithfulness to our Lord Jesus Christ. So, coming back to our main passage in Matthew 14, we see that 
Peter's faith was active. He he looks to Jesus and he believes that he is the I am. He is the Son of God. He understands that that brings impact, that has impact in his life as well. Notice that he not only says, "Oh, he understands that he is the Son of God," but he says, "Lord, if you can walk on water, let me let me do it too. Let me go after you. Let me seek you." And Peter there then learns something very precious about Jesus' teachings. What he had understood there is the close relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and those who Him He has called His own. And that's something that Jesus does all the time. It's interesting how throughout the Gospels there are several different titles for Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the Servant of the Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of David. But when you look at the title that Christ used for Himself the most, He actually used the title, the Son of Man. That was how He liked to call Himself. And that shows how Christ loves to identify Himself with us. To say, I am a man. I am the Son of Man. I am like you. And in that sense, Peter understood that, that we look to Christ in, in His incarnation, not only as God, but also as our main example, our, our, our role model to how we should be. So, in the same way that Paul, Peter looked to him and wanted to walk on water, believing that he could because Christ was there and could enable him to do it, we also look to Christ in how he puts other, he put other, other people's interests above himself. How he served instead of demanding service. How he endured suffering in meekness. How he faced injustice with patience. How he was zealous about the church, how he suffered looking for the prize in front of him. All those things that Christ did, and now we're commanded to pick up our cross and follow him. We're commanded to, to join his sufferings. All these things, to believe in God, to submit to the will of the Father, all the things that are in Scripture, all the imperatives, we are able to do those things now through our faith in him. And what I'm saying here is not that we should just try to go to a lake, you know, this afternoon and say, okay, I believe God can walk on water. Notice that Faith and obedience are close together. Peter doesn't think of something that is supernatural like walking on water and just goes for it on his own power. But he first asks. We see that in verse 26. He asks, um, uh, verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, and this if it's you, it's not that he's doubting. It's just, since this is you, command me to come to you on the water. So that's the idea. All scripture is inspired by God telling us the commandments of God. In the same way that Jesus says, come here, Jesus says, come to me, obeying my word for you today. And that's what we need to do through faith. Every imperative in the Bible is a calling to do what is impossible apart from the grace of God. Every, every imperative, every single one. There is no way you can fulfill this to please God unless you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't look to the outside, but He's concerned with your heart. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. So, Peter looks at Jesus. He's submissive to Jesus. It's not a boastful faith. He's not walking on water to show to the other disciples that he can do that. But his only concern is to put his eyes on Jesus and to go and follow him. And all he wants is to be close to Jesus, and that's what leads him to step in to do something that was impossible. But as he believes that that was the Son of God, he steps out of the boat. And notice that the storm is still there. 
the circumstances haven't changed. It's not that now he believes in God, everything is calm. No, the circumstances haven't changed, but now instead of being afraid inside the boat, he steps out and go and he faces it because he knows that Christ is there and Christ has commanded him to come and he has all he needs to go through that storm. That's the faith we need to follow. That's a strong faith. But then look at what happens in verse 30 and 31. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. On one hand, it's really hard to understand what happened to Peter here. He had already experienced the impossible. What was literally extraordinary was, was just beyond nature, which was to step on water and be able to walk. He had already experienced that. And, and he saw the power of God. He saw Jesus. But now as he's walking, he looks to the waves, which is just something that, okay, was there the whole time. And, and now he's, he's sinking because he's afraid of the waves. And, and that's exactly what Jesus says, uh, why Jesus uses this expression, Oh, you of little faith. The same expression is found three other times in the Gospel of Matthew. The first one is in Matthew 6, when Jesus is talking about worry. He's saying, why are you worried about tomorrow? Uh, why are you worried about what you're going to dress or eat or drink? Look at the birds in the air. Look at the grass that is green today and it's going to be tossed on fire tomorrow. I, I, God cares about all, all of it. Why wouldn't He care about you? And, and then He calls them, Will you of little faith? So this idea of little faith is the idea of being consistent. Like you have something so big and clear here, but when you choose to live according to something, it's, it's just inconsistent. That's the idea of a little faith. Um, Matthew 8, 26, that's the first time that Jesus calms the storm. And he says the same thing to the disciples. He says, I'm right here, and I'm in control of all of this. You have a little faith, why are you worried? And then Matthew 16, verse 8, uh, when the disciples uh, can't learn a simple lesson that he had taught more than once, and he says, you have a little faith. Why, why can't you see something that is so clear? And, and that's the idea. And like I said, in one hand, it's hard to understand because it's just so weird that he would not do that but isn't that what we do every time in our lives when we think that we have been already saved by the wrath of God we, we believe that the same God who has created all things who is in control of the whole universe the metaphysical universe the spiritual universe and this, as simple as we are we have been saved has loved us to the point that he sent his only son that he loved the most to, to die for our sins and to rescue us and now our sins are forgiven in Christ. We have all of that. We know His love. But we look to something in our lives. And, and we're just so worried about it. We are all spiritual leaders. That's what we do. Um, the description of little faith refers to those who have not sufficiently taken to heart the comfort they should, uh, the comfort they should have derived from the presence, the promises, the power, and the love of Christ. And Jesus then comes and rescues him. And, and it's interesting, the methodology that Jesus uses here to, to talk to Peter. How then can Jesus approach this fear and this inconsistency of, of this little faith Peter has? He asks, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? 
this question here, the why did you doubt, is not necessarily what is the reason you doubted. It was clear to Jesus, it was clear to the disciples in the boat, and, and to Peter and to everyone that the reason he doubted was because of the waves. That's not what Jesus is asking here, the, the because, but he's asking for what purpose? To what end? Uh, what, what was the point of, of, of doubting after going so far? You understood that you could walk on water, so, so why, what was the point of worrying? That doesn't bring you anywhere. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Matthew, Matthew 6. Uh, is worrying about things gonna, going to, to bring you anything new or help you in any way? It's, it's not going to help. Um, the, the way we fight our fears is asking the same questions that Jesus asked Peter. Just, just look at reality. Just look to Christ. Just look at, at what He has done for you in the past. Just be, in, and as, as you're thankful for those things, as you think of His sacrifice, then you can question the worries of today. Why am I worried about this when I have been saved from my sins and I have eternity in heaven with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Uh, it's interesting that uh, Spurgeon says that as Peter is walking toward Jesus, he, he, he's trying to reach Jesus, but the closest he gets to Jesus is when his faith is little. And, and that's the last point here, is uh, that even the little faith can be used by God to do wonderful and amazing things, not only in your life, but in the lives of the ones around you. Though, uh, through Peter's failure and lack of trust, Christ reveals not only his transcendence, but also his imminence. Not only his power as the I am, as the one who has created all things, but now the same God who said, let there be light, is the God reaching to Peter and saying, why are you worried? I care for you. He became flesh and, and he, he, he lived a whole life to die for your sins. The same God who created all things. And he's there for you. And so why do you worry? Why, why do you doubt? He's there for you. And it's amazing how God uses even that lack of faith to, to hold Peter. And, and look even the way Jesus does things. He could do anything else. He could maybe, I know I'm creative, so maybe levitate Peter and throw him back in the boat uh, somehow. But he doesn't do that. He goes and he grabs him and, and he brings him close to him. And, and, and that's what Christ, our Lord, does to us. Even when we fail, he, he uses that. And notice that even though it was a little faith, it was still faith. Peter doesn't try to swim by himself as he's falling, but, but he, he just cries to Jesus and says, Lord, save me. And that's the cry we need to cry to God every time we see ourselves in sin and in discontentment. And as we cry to Him, He uses that to bring us closer to Him than we've ever been before. Jesus uses Peter like a trust to bring him to the closest he had ever been to Jesus, and not only to Peter himself, but he does the same thing to all the other men on the boat. Uh, it's it's when you look at the two questions in, in the whole story now, in the big picture, Christ comes to all these men that are in the boat, and he reveals himself as the God Almighty, the one who is walking on water and has has control over all uh, the storm. But even though they could picture that he was the Son of God, I believe that there is a second taste to the question. When he asked Peter the second time, why do you worry? And now, it's not only why, because I have all power, but why, because also I care for you, and I would never let you sink. 
and those two aspects are there and, and seeing all that all the disciples they just saw the whole storm ceasing and calm uh, they saw uh, Peter who had almost died now he's back in the boat and they're not celebrating that but the only thing that can, they can do is, is it's to worship the one who is the son of God the one who, who the wind and the sea obey the one who who's been there and he was the, the God of their fathers the one who all his love had condescended to be the son of man, not only the son of God, but the one who now walks among us and, and give us all we need and, and brings redemption to our souls. So they behold not only Christ's majestic power over nature, walking on water, enabling Peter to walk on water, calming the storm, but God, but Christ also reveals his purpose behind all those actions. And that purpose was to use all his power to be with them, to comfort them, and to strengthen their faith. And, and that's the God we trust. So, before I finish, I'd like to just uh, bring a couple questions uh, uh, to, for application purposes. Um, the first one is, remember that faith is always accompanied by, uh, goes hand in hand with obedience. So Peter did not do anything just out of his own faith, but he was the whole time he was trusting God, and, and, and as Jesus has come, he obeys that commandment a step at a time. And, and that's what I want you to think about this week. What is the next step you have to take in your life in obedience? What has been lacking uh, in, your, in your life that maybe you should be doing that instead of uh, letting fear uh, hold you back? One of the uh, good things I like from uh, Pastor Lehman, he, all, he has a saying, he says, and he probably got from someone else. Um, he says, faith makes you walk, assurance makes you run. That's what he says. So for our text today, I just want to add one more aspect to it, which is, yes, faith makes you walk, assurance makes you run, but fear sinks you. And, and I think that that's a good way to think about it. If you have fear in your life, those fears are not helping you with your decision-making. So... If you need to do more, if you need to be more active, preaching the gospel and, and proclaiming the gospel to, to your family, to people at work, um, doing things that maybe you know you should be doing, we will do that this week by faith. Trusting God, understanding what He has done for you. And if that fear is there and it's hard for you, remember, uh, first of all, from, from James, the idea of you can ask for wisdom. doesn't matter how difficult it is. He gives wisdom abundantly to the ones who need and also remembers the work of Jesus uh, after revealing himself to Peter in all his power and all his love he asks why did you doubt what was the point of doubting and we should be asking ourselves the same question every time we worry about something what is the point of worrying about this when he's in control so and if you have not yet um, not yet believed and, 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 and committed to Christ in your heart I I pray that today would be the day of salvation for you. Um, Jesus Jesus says, Whoever comes to me, I'll certainly not cast him out. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So, understand that God has accomplished the hardest thing, the most impossible thing that he could have ever accomplished on the cross. And if you
you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, because we know that this is not any knowledge and wisdom of man. But we know that when your word is proclaimed, uh, you are speaking, Lord. We know that uh, when your word speaks, you speak. And, and, and that's our trust. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher of our hearts this morning as we meditate on all these ideas and all, all these concepts of faith and we look to Peter's life and, and Jesus' life, his, his ministry, his testimony. We pray that uh, we would help, to, would help us to grasp these truths and, and live according to these truths. Uh, help, us, help us to be courageous, help us to look to you, understand who you are and all the implications of, of your power in our lives, your love in our lives. Pray that you bless us um, through the blessing of our Holy Spirit. And we pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.